Second Peter chapter three. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, my beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Our text, as we said, is found in the verses 17 and the first part of 18. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away, with the heir of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. <clears throat> you will notice, beloved, in the first part of this text, it is very evident that the apostle here is referring back into the context and 
that our text is very really a conclusion which he has drawn from that preceding context. That is evident, first of all, in that word, therefore, ye therefore, beloved. As we have so often pointed out to you, speaking to you on other scriptures where this word is found and expressed, it always indicates a certain conclusion. And that must be borne in mind, conclusion that is drawn from the preceding. However, in the second place, more particularly is this evident from that expression in the first part of the text, seeing ye know these things before. You probably notice that the words these things are in italics. That means that they do not actually appear in the original text, but are given here as a commentary. And I believe in this instance correctly so. The first question that arises when you read this is, what things? And of course, for the answer to that question, you have to look back into the context. And undoubtedly, the apostle refers, first of all, to the immediate context, and that is what he has written concerning the second coming of Christ. I think that is uh, the gist of the immediate context, and in connection with that, of course, uh, the destruction, the burning up of the present world, both in heaven and on earth. It is of this that the Apostle speaks in the immediate context. But also included in this, I believe, is what we read in the first part of this chapter, in verse 3, where he tells us that they know that in the last days there will be scoffers walking after their own lusts scoffers who ridicule, who deny the second coming, the parousia of Christ. They ask the question, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, yea, even from the creation of the world. All things continue to be as they always were. There is no difference. There is nothing that appears to be climactic in the history of the world that would move us to believe that all things must come to an end. And that the Apostle in our text evidently has this in mind is quite evident when he says further, Beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. With these words in our text, the Apostle, of course, brings to a close his epistle. And he does that with very much in solemnity and soberness by presenting to the readers of this epistle both a warning and an admonition. The Apostle Peter, if I may dwell on this point for a moment, at this time is an old man. He's about ready to lay down his mantle and ready to be removed from this earthly tabernacle. 
And you know, when you read the words of our text, and especially the last part of it, but grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can believe that he is speaking here from real experience. If you are acquainted at all with the life of Peter, as we try to portray it in our combined uh, societies on Monday evening where we're studying the apostles, you will discover when you study the Gospels and the book of Acts particularly, uh, that there are there is considerable growth and development in the apostle himself. To begin with, of course, he had a very meager conception <coughs> of the Christ, as was true, of course, of all of the apostles, for that matter, who conceived of him as an earthly Messiah, <coughs> one who would fulfill the hope of Israel in establishing an earthly kingdom. But also more particularly when you consider how that in his earlier life, also as an apostle of Jesus Christ, there were times when there were marked weaknesses in Peter. Rashness was inevitable. He had grown now. He had developed by the power of grace to the point where he can stand, as it were, exalted and elevated above the church of Christ and looking at them from that position, say, but grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That makes the Word of God just a little bit more living, it seems to me. But notice that he closes this epistle with a word of warning, first of all. A warning uh, to beware, lest you be led away with the error of the wicked. This is not something... Uh, in question, but something that is very real, as I will have occasion to point out in the sequence, if Peter could say, beware of scoffers and beware of the heir of the wicked in his day, then this must be still more pronounced in our day. That word of warning is well in place. But notice too that there is here an admonition. An admonition to grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it is well on this first Sabbath of the new year, that I should call your attention to this warning and admonition tonight. That there is going to be, and there will be, times in the future when we will be confronted with the scoffers. We better be prepared for that. And don't make a mistake, say it can't happen. It will happen. No question about it. Perhaps even scoffers who will come with the same uh, erroneous conception that they express here. Christ isn't coming again. He's here already. You hear that already in our time. You know, we mustn't look for him to come on the clouds of heaven. 
That isn't the way he's coming. He's going to come in our hearts. We're all going to be filled with the knowledge of Christ. Christ is going to take up his abode in us. And of course, this is something that is secret. Which denies, of course, one of the fundamental doctrines of faith of the Christian church that as Christ came the first time to this earth in Bethlehem as a babe and suffered and died on the cross and ascended into heaven having been raised from the dead, he is coming again. And every eye shall see him. And he shall establish his throne, a throne of judgment. That's an article of our faith. We just confessed that together, didn't we? And the apostles prayed. We better believe it. That there are going to be those who will deny that coming of Christ. And you must be ready to confront them. And not be moved by that error. But be steadfast in the truth. And in the second place. Grow. In the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, I've been your pastor now for a number of years. And I think I know you pretty well. All of you. Some of you don't grow very much. You're spiritual midgets. You're really babes who have to be fed with a spoon. You're not able to eat strong meat, some of you. You better listen tonight. We have an admonition in this text. And you must take it to heart. No, I'm not scolding you. I'm not telling you uh, something from way up here, down there. Oh, no. I want you to hear the word of God tonight. Grow. In the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And unless you do, you will never be able to stand in the evil day. I assure you. With these remarks in mind, I call your attention to our text under the theme, A Final Warning and Admonition. And I'd like to have you look with me first of all at that warning. And the second place to the admonition. And finally also to the urgency of both. We must see that. I think we may summarize the warning in this text. In the words, do not fall from your steadfastness. Oh, there is more to this warning in that. There is here undoubtedly a signal that there is going to be an evil power, lie or wickedness, that will seek to move you from your place. But you must be warned here to remain immovable and steadfast. Now you understand that word, that's the implication of that word steadfast too. The English word steadfast means to stand fast. And in order to stand fast, you must have a place to stand. And the only ground, the only solid ground upon which the child of God can stand and stand fast is the word of God. All other ground is sinking sand. 
You cannot stand fast on human philosophy. You cannot stand fast on your own imagination. You can stand fast only when you have your feet firmly planted in solid ground and the only solid ground in which you can stand fast is the truth of the Scriptures. Now this is important. You see that that's important also pretty soon when we get to that second point where we are also admonished to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You can't grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ unless you are thoroughly acquainted with and enamored with the Word of God. The truth of the Word of God, therefore, is the place where you must take your stand and where you must stand fast. Now, this word of warning here suggests the idea, and this idea is implied in the idea of standing fast, that there's going to be opposition. I think we could probably use the figure of of a rock that is set on the shore of the ocean side where the billows keep rolling in and beating against that rock, but that rock stands there immovably, fixed. That idea is also here in this text. That we are required to stand fast means that there is going to be a a power and a force and an evil force that will seek to move you from your place. And I'd like to insert here, at this point, that this is what you must expect. I don't know when it's coming. I don't know when it's coming in this church. But sometime it will. I was talking to somebody yesterday last week who visited in our home about the situation in the church and spontaneously this brother said to me, you know, the situation doesn't look too bright in the Protestant Reformed churches today. And I said to him, what do you mean? says, I think we are going astray. We're falling from our place. And you know, he struck something in my own heart because I believe I've noticed it too. I noticed this especially among our young married people. and some of our older young people. They don't always show their love for the truth of God's word as they are. They're not founded in the truth as they ought to be. And you would certainly believe where the Word of God is purely preached, sincerely preached, and in all of its fullness that there would be profound growth and development and establishment. That's what you would think. But you don't. You go help discuss it. And it leads us to believe that with the least little provocation, with the least little urging, 
and that too of an evil temperament, we could easily be moved from our place once more. This gentleman that rested with me said, it's not impossible that we could have another split. And I agreed with him. And that always comes about, you understand, when the majority in the church becomes weak and wobbly and knows not the truth nor cares about it. They show that sometimes by their church attendance. Even when they're here, you can tell it. Oh, I tell you, you see something from up here. When I look at you, and I do, I look at you, you know, you can see that your minds are miles away. You don't even pay attention. You are bored to death. Especially if you've got a long-winded preacher like you have here. That's a sign up. And what happens in our home? What kind of homes are they? Are they homes where that word of God is very precious to you? Where you live out of that word of God? Where you are busy studying that word of God? I don't think so. I think we're pretty busy making dollars and having fun. This is what's happening. And I'm concerned, beloved, as Peter was concerned for the church of his day. This may be the very last time that I'll preach a New Year's sermon to you, but let you hear it, beloved. The day is coming when you are going to be rocked from your place. And there's going to be false doctrines that are going to be railed against you that even deny the coming of the Lord Jesus. And you are warned to take your stand. Now I tell you, you can't stand if you don't have a place. If you don't have solid ground. That's what my text is about. Be steadfast. The Apostle Paul uses that word in the last verse of chapter 15 of his first epistle to the Corinthians. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So you have it here. Be steadfast. <clears throat> to fall for the error, which of course is going to be presented to you, is to depart from the truth. To depart from the faith once delivered unto the same. Of course, in the strict sense of the word, that's impossible. If you consider the church <coughs> from the point of view that it is composed of the elect of God, If the church is composed, as we believe it is, of the elect of God, then it is impossible for the church to fall away. But I assure you that it's not the viewpoint of the text when it speaks of the possibility of falling away. It looks at the church from the point of view of its organic development, its historical development, 
And then, of course, it is always composed of righteous and wicked, elect and reprobate. And that accounts for the fact that there is, according to the scriptures in the last days, to be a falling away from the faith, a great apostasy. The Word of God couldn't possibly predict anything like that if it were not possible that there would be such an apostasy. And how can such an apostasy take place? It is when you see that that church is composed not only of the faithful children of God, but also of those who are most unfaithful, who are really not children of God at all, who have the name that they are, but who in all their works deny it is in that situation that you can have a falling away. The apostle speaks of that. Lest ye being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. You understand, of course, this word is addressed to the entire church. That means to those who are going to fall away too. So they are forewarned. This is what's going to happen to them. But also to the people of God, to those who stand fast, they need to hear this warning so that they may also live out of the consciousness that they stand firmly in the Word of God. All the more because it is true that there will be all kinds of winds of doctrines that will be assailed at them. The waves of the ocean will roll over them. Unless they stand fast like the rock, they are going to be moved from their place. They can no longer exist. They will perish. And this is what will happen to the church if the church is not under God. If she is not on her guard, she will fall for error. That's true for error in any form. And that's particularly true of the error that denies the coming of Christ. Look what happens if one listens to that error. If it is true that Christ is not coming again, then I don't have to hope for him, do I? I don't have any longing in my heart to see him, do I? Of course not. If he's not coming again, and he's not coming again to judgment, then it really doesn't make too much difference, does it, how I live? And let us adopt the philosophy of the Epicureans, let us eat, drink, and be merry, and let's live it up. And I fear sometimes that that is the philosophy that has already taken hold of many of us. This happens when we are affluent, when we don't need God anymore. We get along pretty well by ourselves. And if you put with that the air, well, Christ isn't coming again. Don't worry your heads about that. And then, of course, we become worldly-minded. And we seek the things that are below. That's what happens. And this is precisely what is happening today. If you have your eyes open, you can see it. They're not enamored anymore with the doctrine that Christ is coming and when he comes there's going to be a catastrophe. There's going to be a destruction of the wicked and all the world is going to be burned up. They don't even hear about that anymore. It's too nice down here. They don't want to talk about that. And preachers are encouraged not to even preach about it. 
anymore. This is what's happening all around about us. And it's going to seep in here sometime. Mark my word. If you are not on your God, you're going to be led away with the air of the wicked. And therefore, a warning is in place. When you are on your guard, you know, you expect an enemy. I think soldiers are trained to do that. They have to do guard duty. They are told what they must say when they see somebody walking about the camp that isn't supposed to be there. Who goes there? They're prepared for that. They are prepared to shoot if they don't get a satisfactory reply. They expect an enemy. When you are on guard, then you are watchful. You look for the opposition, for those who will deny the truth. You look for them. You expect them. And you are prepared. So must you be prepared, beloved. Well, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just preaching the word of God, that's all. You must hear it. This is what it is. Ye therefore, seeing ye know these things, beware. And I don't know how you could say it any any louder, any uh, more succinctly than that. Beware, lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Beware that ye fall not. And that means, be on guard. And how shall you be on guard? Oh, understand it well. You are in your proper place. You stand on the word of God. I've said it to you before, you know. Even the devil himself, if you hold before him the word of God, he'll flee away. He's scared of that word of God. Can't do anything with it. He can deny it. Say, I don't want to listen to it. But if you preach the word of God to him, you tell him what God says in his word, he's got to go away. That's true of all enemies of the truth, too. You don't argue with him. You simply tell him what God says. And that's it. That's the truth. Nothing else is the truth. If they say something opposite, it's the lie. And it must be said to be the lie. You must be on your guard. And you must stand steadfastly in the truth. That's the warning. In the second place, we ought to also look at this admonition. But grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in grace. You know, I was thinking when I was getting ready to deliver this sermon tonight, how can one say that? You must grow. They tell me now that house plants will grow when you talk to them. <coughs> I don't know, I think that's all nonsense. But you have people believing that. So they're going to stand there and they talk to their plants. No, you must grow, sweetheart. You must grow. And then time by, you see it grow a little bit. And it works. It works. It listens to you. Imagine how foolish can you get. 
that's what they tell me. You can say to a dog, you know, I have one, grow! You don't pay any attention to that. All he's care, all he's crazy about is that you bring him something to eat. And you must give him something to eat so that he may grow! But you can't say to the dog, grow, dog! A farmer cannot say to his pigs, grow, pigs! They don't even know what he's talking about if he would say that. They are simply, by intuition, waiting for the slop to be brought to them so they can gulp it down. And that's how they grow when they are fed. And are fed from without. But here the word of God speaks to the church, and it says, you grow, you grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it can do that, beloved, because that word of God is addressed to rational moral creatures who consciously are growing. If you aren't growing, you won't understand this word of God. You understand? It's only when you are growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that you can hear this word and understand it and also reply to it. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice that it speaks of the grace. First of all, also here fundamentally, the idea of grace here is beauty. The grace of Christ is that goodness, love and kindness of Christ that is given to us whereby we become beautiful as he is beautiful. That's always the fundamental idea of grace. Beauty. Become beautiful. Grow in beauty, in spiritual beauty. Implied, of course, in that word grace is all the graces of salvation. Fundamentally, the grace of regeneration, in which all of the graces of God are given to us principally. I said that to you before. When we are born again from above, Immediately, all the graces of salvation are given unto us in seed form. That is, faith, love, righteousness, holiness, peace, joy, long-suffering. All the graces of salvation are given unto us in seed form in regeneration. And it is always the viewpoint of the Scriptures that God by his rain and sunshine operates upon that seed to make it grow, to flourish. And it grows like a tree with all of its branches. Out of that grace comes grace and grace and grace and grace. And more grace. And all of the loving kindnesses of salvation sprout out, bud out, blossom forth. From that grace of salvation. That is growing in grace. And you understand. That can never be possible. Apart from the word of God. We feed on the scripture. If you're going to grow. I said that, said that to my children when they were small. You must sit. And when they were sitting in the high chair, you must eat now, Kenneth. You must eat now, otherwise you'll never be a big boy. You said that to your children too? You want to be a big boy? You must eat. And so you go through all kinds of maneuvers to make them eat. Because you want them to grow. You want them to develop. That's true in the physical sense of the word. Much more true is that when you feed them the word of God. When you do that, when you sit by your table, 
Don't be interested only in gulping down food and seeing that your children are gulping down food to grow and expand physically. Be very much concerned about it that you feed them with the Word of God. You understand? I talked about that in our family visitation. How do you read the Bible when you have your family worship? How do you instruct your children? What do you say to them? How do they hear the Word of God? Or do they just simply hear you read a chapter and say, well, he did his duty again. You want to grow in grace? You want your children to grow in grace? You want your wife to grow in grace? Then feed on the Word of God. The pure Word of God. You want to grow in grace? Then you be in church on Sunday and you sit in your pew and you eat and drink the Word of God. It's measured out to you as it is being done tonight. You must feed on it. That's the way you grow. You want to grow in grace? And you want to see that grace blossom out in all the other graces of salvation? Of justification, of sanctification, of love, of peace, of faith, of hope. Then you must feed on the Word of God. You understand? But there's also another part to that admonition. Not only grow in grace, but in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That knowledge is first of all intellectual. We must know intellectually the scripture. We must know intellectually the Lord Jesus Christ and all that the word of God has to say to us concerning him. But as we have so often pointed out to you, intellectual knowledge means nothing unless it is followed with spiritual knowledge, tasting knowledge, faith, of love, so that you don't only know about the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, but you know Him. You know Him as your Lord because He is your Christ. You know him as your Savior because he is your Jesus, whom God saved to save you from your sin. You know him spiritually with a tasting knowledge of faith. And the question, of course, arises here, <coughs> what is the relation between these two? That is, between the growing in grace and the growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then I must point out to you that the former, that is, the growing in the grace of Christ, finds its basis in the latter, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Apart from that knowledge, you cannot grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You must know. And what does that mean? That means that again, you must be thoroughly indoctrinated with the Scriptures. You must be busy with the study of God's Word. You must be using every opportunity that is afforded you in the church uh, to be increased in knowledge. And as you are increased in knowledge, spiritual knowledge, so also you grow in grace, you see. Because that grace finds its fertilizer, so to speak, in the Word of God. I talked a little moment ago 
about talking to your plants and making them grow. But don't you ever believe it? They don't grow by you talking to them. You've got to give them fertilizer. You've got to feed them. That's the only way they grow. That same thing is true of you and me spiritually. When we are fed with the knowledge of the Word of God, then we grow. We grow not only in knowledge, but we grow also in grace. And beloved, as we stand here this evening at the first Sabbath of the new year, I'm deeply concerned about this. And that's why I call your attention to it. Many of you will seem at least to leave the impression you're not too interested in the Word of God. It shouldn't be that way. What are you doing with the Word of God? In your private life, do you ever look at it? Do you ever really sit down and prayerfully study the Scripture? Ask the Word of God what it says. Do you? If you don't, there's something wrong with you. You're going to grow with it. You become a spiritual weakling and you make yourself susceptible to all kinds of error and false doctrine. And you are going to be swept off in your feet to a person. No question about it. It's going to happen as truly as two times two is four. I'm concerned about that. How much are you busy with the Word of God? Prayerfully searching the Word of God. How often do you seek the company of God's people where that Word of God is the subject of discussion? What are you doing about that? Or do you just simply take the nonchalant position? Well, let them meet if they want to. They can spend their time doing that. I have to do it some other way. I'm concerned about that. You notice the word beloved in our text? Ye therefore beloved. The Apostle Peter looked upon that church as the object of his love. And that's the way I look at you too tonight. If you're a pastor. I love you. If I love you, then I don't want to see you go astray. I don't see want to see you fall for air. You understand? That's not. I'm seeking your welfare. Your eternal welfare. And if you will listen to it, your eternal welfare is all bound up in what God says to you in His Word concerning His Christ. That's what the Scriptures are all about. From Genesis to Revelation. It's a revelation of Jesus. Of Jesus, who is your Savior. Of Christ, who is your Lord. You want to know about Him, don't you? And not only know about Him, but know Him with the personal knowledge of faith. Also, beloved, I'm concerned about it as we stand in this first evening of the new year, 1978, about the future. There's all kinds of predictions in the scriptures that heresy will raise its head again and again. It has done that from the dawn of history. Every time where the truth of God has been maintained, there always appears those who will deny to oppose it. And by their opposition to seek to pull the believing church 
from its firm foundation. And as I look around about in the church world today, and also in our own churches, I'm concerned about that. Where will we stand? Will we stand? Will we have the strength to stand? Will we have the grace to be on God against the evil? If we don't know the truth, if we are not busy studying the Word of God, how in the world can you detect the evil? I ask you, in all sincerity, how can you know the evil and the lie if you don't know the truth? And don't shrug your shoulder and say, well, I've been indoctrinated. I went to catechism all my life and all that. I don't care one whit about all that. Oh, yes, I do. I do. But it's got to be more than in your head. It's got to be in your heart. Do you love the truth? Will you, if necessary, die for the truth? That's the question that you've got to face. That day is coming. It has always been there. There are children of God who went to their death because they stood steadfastly on the truth. That's going to happen again. How about your children? Are they prepared for that? You see, beloved, we have to get busy, don't we? We have to get awful busy. We haven't got time for all kinds of other junk. First, things must come first. We must know the Scriptures. The Word of God. And only then will we be able to stand in that day when the temptation shall be great to deny all of the facets of the truth which we now tonight confess together in the twelve articles of our faith. What are you going to do about it? And I call your attention to it that the text very strenuously emphasizes the fact we must grow. You must do something. Oh, yes. You must grow. You must see that you grow. God doesn't simply, like we feed pigs, you know, pour slop in us. We're not dead pots in which he simply puts his wonderful grace and we carry it around as a dead pot. Oh, no. Nor is this grace a knowledge of Christ Something also that is dead that you and I carry around with us. But it is something that is living and vital that lives in us. It gets hold of every sinnel and every muscle of our bodies. It gets into our hearts. It gets into our spiritual being. It takes hold of us. We are captivated by it. You understand? If that isn't the case. And this word of warning is well in place. You are going to fall from your steadfastness. And you will fall away from the faith. There can be no question about it. But you must grow. And see to it that you grow. You know, you and I are always concerned about that with our children. Isn't that so? If we have a child that doesn't seem to respond to food, that you're already with almost as soon as it's born, and it's on the bottle. You go to the doctor and say, Doctor, there's something wrong. It isn't growing like it ought to. It only weighs so much. It should weigh this much by this time. The doctor says, Well, what are you feeding? What's your formula? Well, you'll have to change your formula. Then the child will respond. It will grow again. You're concerned about that. Why aren't you so concerned about the spiritual growth? You see, it's so important, beloved, that you and I hear this word of God tonight and hide it in our hearts and respond to it so that each one in his own individual life, in his family life, in his church life, is encouraging one another to be busy. First of all, to stand on God against all the errors that will be railed against us. 
secondly and more positively, heed the admonition of God's word to grow in grace as we grow in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Then Christ's church will be prepared for his coming. Make no mistake about that. I told you that, you know, several times lately. That's what all preaching is about. To get you ready for the coming of the Lord. That's what it's all about. And when you listen to this word tonight, this is precisely what's going to happen to you and to me. We will be ready when he comes. Amen.